Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, this is Josh. And Carolyn. With Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week, we're actually talking about a topic that we don't usually discuss. You know, around here, we talk about uh, livestock resilience. We talk about uh, garden resilience. We talk about food resilience. There's something else that you really need to consider when you're thinking about personal resilience, and that is financial resilience on the homestead. Absolutely, and you know, that actually includes all of those things from the homesteader's perspective. So we're gonna talk a little bit about our views on financial resilience. This Mm. is not so much an investing discussion. We're not investing counselors or financial (laughs) advisors. Definitely. But we sure have a perspective for the homesteader, for weathering uh, life in general, and certainly more and more unpredictable times. It's some good strategies we think are worth sharing in creating financial resilience on your homestead. So it's going to be a good topic. I'm excited about this one. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, uh, a little chit chat and a question or two from our subscribers. So what's going on with you here? We're like full fledged in fall. We are full-fledged into fall. The harvest is actually wrapping up, and that's kind of exciting. It's been a longer fall. We've had a longer string of, um, uh, I guess, a longer run on the the harvest side, and so that's been nice. It's been able to be a little more gradual instead of some years. You know, it's like mid-September, and you're just here it comes. We got to get it all out. And it's a, I think we even have a video of one day where we had to do that and we had to take everything out of the garden because it was going to freeze solid the next day. And we just did not have a year like that, which I'm really thankful for. We've had a real kind of gradual year. So, um, so we are getting through it. We are getting harvest all done. We're getting the roots in and down into the root cellar as we speak. Um, and so that's, That's good. That's what we've been focusing on on that side. On the other side, you know, we kind of start talking back to school season, all all the indoor things that start happening now instead. You'd like to think it slows down and it does outside. In our mind, it slows down. In our mind, it slows down, but there's other just work to do. More schooling, Mm -hmm. planning. Mm -hmm. Indoor work of all sorts. There's always something to organize. There's always something that needs to, you know, it's kind of the year, the time of the year where we get to come inside and be like, okay, uh, let's clean up this area and let's get this area organized. Yeah. Because once you get back outside next spring, you, <laughs> you're busy elsewhere. <laughs> the pace does change though. It does. It is a, it's a softer pace, especially than spring and fall. Mm-hmm. When you're either, everything's starting to grow fast and you got to catch up and get things planted and dealt right. with, or you got to get everything harvested. Yeah. So it is a, it is a nice mellower pace, more time by the fire, Yay. more time getting to discuss and plan things, which is fun. Yeah. yeah. Always nice. Good. Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? 
Oh man, you know, mostly getting ready for winter. Um, and that has to do with the barn and mm. just the addition to the barn where we've got more room for our cows, more room for our deep bedding management system for all of the animals because we're under roof for at least five months, sometimes six months a year. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of feed to stock up and that's a lot of manure to manage. And we want to do that in a very healthy, efficient way. Right. And um, so we did a barn addition that would just it's not completely done, but it's done for the winter. We've got Yay! done what we can. And uh, so that's a great, great improvement. Really excited about that. That is going to make our work easier in the winter. Nice. And lighten up the load a bit. So Anywhere where you can get out of the weather when you're working up here in yeah. North Idaho in the winter makes life easier. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, you want to take a question or am I taking a question? Uh, I let's think see. Let me I'm ask a you a question. Aunt Nutmeg on the how to plant garlic video asks, okay. if you mulch heavily in the fall, do you need to clear some or all of that mulch in the spring so that the garlic can sprout? Yeah, in general, no. I mean, I'm going to assume you're not putting like six to eight inches of mulch on your garden of heavy chips. I've never done that. So I might think that might be a little bit of a struggle for garlic. But if you're mulching your gardens, you know, three inches, four inches, somewhere in there, um, that should not be a problem. Hopefully you're planting your garlic early enough where it actually is getting started. It might not come up above the mulch per se, if you've got a, a deep mulch on there, but hopefully that garlic is starting to sprout a little bit. That's our goal to get it early enough to get it started. It's getting rooted. And so it's it's gonna do better through the winter mm -hmm. and gonna do better in the spring. But otherwise, no, assuming that you're kind of mulching normally and not doing a, a heavy, heavy mulch. There you go. Yeah. Good. Yeah, garlic is a pretty strong sprout. It is. So it really yeah. pushes up yeah. through most things. Um, definitely the mulch. And, and it might push through the heavier. I've just never done that. So yeah. I, I would be hesitant to do like six inches or something like that. And yeah. really, you don't need that on your garden bed. You might do that in your orchard or walkways or something, but you don't need that much mulch in your garden unless it's a, like a first year garden there that you you're go. planting in the winter. Okay. We're going to All talk right. about financial resilience. That's a subject we really, yeah. really like. We don't really talk about it in this way much because it's we're not here generally talking about finances, but it's something we all are always managing and thinking mm -hmm. about. And so I'm going to ask you a question. If you oh, want okay. Me. I'm just on the spot. To, just to segue into this. Well, what, <laughs> right. is, what does financial resilience mean to you? Um, having your finances in order in a way that it can they can keep humming on even with the hits of life and things kind of get bumpy when the road gets bumpy. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what that would mean to me. Yeah. It's like be, being in a place, even if somebody's sick or something happens unexpectedly, that your finances are still in a position that they can take care of you through that without additional input, maybe is a way to say that. Yeah, I can withstand. Well, what if the yeah. inputs stop? Right, exactly. Or get slowed down significantly because mm -hmm. of whatever, a job loss, the economy drastically changes, um, you know, various things in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you withstand that? Yeah. You know, and, and how long can you withstand it, yeah. right? So yeah. that that's what I would think. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And I think that leads into the thought of understanding um, so to have resilience, we have to have some systems, we have to some, have some things in place. When we're dealing with finances, we're gen generally dealing with either inflows and outflows. We generally mm -hmm. think of money, but it can be a lot of different things, but, but money's the medium. 
Um, we can have assets, which things are of value, right? And we can right. have liabilities, and those are debts. Okay. Those are things that work against the inflows or the savings and everything. Right. So if you want to build resilience, the first thing you've got to do is reduce the liabilities. Ah, reduce the debts. Huh? Reduce the debts, right? <laughs> this, we live in a debt-driven economy right. and world. Yeah. So that would be like uh, credit cards mm -hmm. debt. That would be any sort of consumer debt like that, right? Any kind of consumer debt. Yeah. yeah. We want to minimize that. Ideally, we want to get rid of it uh, or at least make sure you're operating where you can pay it off every month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we early on started trying to really focus on getting out of debt ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and um, for us, we both had student loans. That was something mm. that we came both came into the marriage with uh, pretty yeah. hefty student loans, especially on my side. And so we spent a lot of time trying to just put extra money to those student loans and really pay those down, pay them off. And in general, we try to stay out of debt at this right. point, minus Mortgage. Mortgage is a hard one. It is. And so we pay extra on that. We, we, we work very hard to put every little bit in that we can extra mm -hmm. to reduce that. And so because we don't have a ton of time, I don't want to dwell on sure. debt too long. But but if you're talking about financial resilience, before you think about inputs, before you think about assets, we need to reduce the liabilities. We should always have a goal of reducing liabilities. You don't want to build a homestead on debt. Yeah. Bad, bad way to go. Right. You know, <laughs> other again than, than a mortgage we would be supportive of. Yeah. And But do that well. Don't go buying a piece of property in fear and getting yourself over indebted on a piece of property that you can't maintain through financial hard times, even even a mortgage payment. So don't get the goats on credit. Is that what you're saying? Please don't get the goats no. on credit. <laughs> they might come confiscate your goats and, well, you might be happy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but other things that we want to reduce definitely, you know, liabilities and debt is a, that those right, go together, and, and that's right? important to bring but out because we're a debt-driven society. We so, are, and a yeah. lot of people have a yeah. lot of debt in our society. Yeah. So start dropping that down. But um, maybe you have this later in this discussion. But what about reducing costs too? Because mm -hmm. costs, ongoing, regular costs, are kind of a type of liability. Aren't they? I mean, maybe not technically in financial terms, but. Well, yeah, being dependent, the more dependent we are on outside inputs, which mm -hmm. would have costs, then, yeah, we have a higher operating cost. Right. Right. And so we want to learn how to run more efficiently mm -hmm. and, and reduce those costs. I mean, a lot of us as homesteaders are inherently trying to do We're that on that. some <laughs> level by raising our own vegetables, our own fruits, our own meats, making a lot of our own things, fixing our own things. So mm -hmm. that's that's hopefully inherent in the homesteading lifestyle, but it's a big key of it that, that reduces our dependence on outside costs. Mm, good yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Another one is reducing waste. Oh, this is a big one. You know, recycling, but not necessarily just in the terms of thinking of taking your cans and your glass and putting it in the right can and taking it to the right bin and all of that. <laughs> that's all good. If, if that's, you know, where you're at or, or you have those systems, uh, we try to do a bit of that. But there's a lot we can produce a lot of waste in a household. Yes. What kind of waste do we produce and can we produce waste that is reusable? Well, and a lot of times in our modern world, what we call a waste used to be assets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, the kitchen waste, the food waste. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's not a waste in our house, actually. It either is going into the compost or we say, we, we call it homestead alchemy because we turn it into bacon, 
you know, right. we turn it. Making our eggs, feed the, mostly feed the bacon for us. Yeah. Rarely does it go to the compost pile even right. anymore because it can produce food, which produces manure, right? And then that feeds the compost pile. Well, and that was the other waste I was going to pull out. You right. know, we often talk about that. But there are other things in the household. Um, you know, if you've ever watched any of David the Good, he talks a lot about like, taking the incoming paper into your household and composting with that, mm -hmm. yep. um, turning other things that are waste that are coming in and turning them into an asset. Yeah. And that comes back to thinking about what's coming in as well and what mm -hmm. you're buying and reducing some of the waste, some of the trash. Or if you do, I'd rather have paper. I can compost paper, mm -hmm. which adds to my compost, which builds carbon in the soil. Mm -hmm. And that's that you're, you're, you now have an input that's bringing value onto your property. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at all those things is really, really important. We're not striving for perfection. We're, we're not striving to be a purely organic, perfect system. But the more of that we do, the more resilience we build. Right. Right. So that kind of goes right along that old say, saying like a dollar, a penny saved is a penny earned, except for now it's like a penny saved is two pennies earned because of taxes and everything else. So, oh, so yeah. <laughs> saving it in the beginning is actually way better than having to make the income to buy it again. Here, here's a just you, this was not in my notes, but this is a neat <laughs> little side thing that, that make sure you guys think of. I love thinking of the value of the food that we produce. Mm -hmm. It's non-taxable income. Most people have a job, yes. your income gets taxed, you pay taxes on it, then you go buy groceries. Mm. Uh, the more you raise your own food, yeah, you've got some inputs that you're gonna buy, and but they're hopefully less than what you're paying for food and you get to raise that food. That value is actually much higher than even the comparison to the store cost because you haven't had to pay tax on that food. Absolutely. That, that's a bit of resiliency right there besides just you know, taking a little bit of our money back. That's, from, a, that's a big cost saving. From the big uncle up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but so the heart of this to, to, that I want to get to and talk about is assets. Financial resiliency is really built around assets, mm -hmm. having things that hold value and or produce value for you. They're not a liability. They are an asset. So there's a lot of things that are termed assets, like as you get into the financial mm -hmm. world. But when you get into homesteading, you actually have a whole different class of assets open up to you, which is kind of cool. It really I is. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's kind of neat. It's like all of a sudden we have different ways to hold and produce value. Right. And so there's, you know, we generally when we're thinking finances and investing, we want reproducible assets, right? You want you want stocks that go in value or they or they have a dividend, they produce returns. You want you want bonds, you want real estate. Those are all financial tools uh, that are considered assets that hopefully grow in value. Mm -hmm. and bring you a return later or bring you an ongoing return. But we have a lot of things that aren't considered um, technically assets in the financial world, but they're assets on the homestead and the farm. We have a few and they live right up in the barn, right? That's right. They're reproducing assets because yep. they're going to have calves or kids mm -hmm. or whatever it is in the spring. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have more of them. So animals, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking of your animals as reproducing assets. But in order to do that, you have to not just buy a milk cow. You have to not just buy feeder pigs every year. Mm -hmm. That's good and that's a good start, but mm -hmm. you want to move forward in how can you reproduce that with less cost? 
right? Okay. So that is having that male counterpart,、mm -hmm. either you owning the male counterpart to the animal, or having a system in your community where、right. you guys can work together so that you get less dependent on buying animals and you can reproduce those animals. Absolutely. So that means you end up with more of them. Mm -hmm. And you can either consume them yourself as additional、right. assets that you didn't have to buy, or you can sell them, right, for for an income or bringing in some more assets. Well, and often both. I mean, we get a lot of questions about making money on the homestead,、mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of a, a well, it is. That's a huge different subject. But one way to enter into it or to supplement your income、mm -hmm. is to have you know animals instead of having a whole lot of different animals. Maybe you want to start a little smaller and develop. You know, a system of reproducing those animals and selling off what you don't need as feeder animals for somebody else to fatten and feed up, or or raising them up yourselves and selling them for somebody else to butcher、uh, somewhere in that process. But、yeah. you, you can do that while you're raising your own. That's a great way also to learn and explore income opportunities on、yeah. the homestead. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, I had a thought and it totally、mm -hmm. flew past me. So. <laughs> So sorry, but that's、um, that is a big difference between just you know I'm going to go and get a couple pigs, like you said, the feeder pigs or something for the year,、mm -hmm. and feeder family just butcher it at the end. There's not really a re reproducible asset there. Yes, it's an asset in that you've got meat on the hoof,、mm -hmm. right? But when you get into that reproducible asset, then you bring in the male pig, or you figure out how to raise breeding pigs, and then every year. Not only do you have those feeder pigs that you need, but you're selling off the extra, and you find those different markets available in your area. Well, and in hard times, just like we saw a few years ago through COVID, people start looking for those things.、Mm -hmm. And what happens? Well, if you need animals, all of a sudden your cost went way up because、mm -hmm. you're now the person going to find. Well, I, I want a few extra pigs. I want to raise a little bit more of my meat. Right. You know, or now I decide I want a boar. I want a bull. Um, um, but if you're the person. Organizing that,、mm -hmm. you know, or working within people, you may not have room for.、It. You may say, "Well, I don't have enough room." Well, that's that's fine. Work within your community. Work with some people that you can work together on, so that you have that ability to breed, even if you don't have it on house. And all of a sudden, you're able to produce your own animals when the environment's getting tough to buy them in, and you're able to sell them, which usually the cost is up in that、mm. environment. So you're able to make a little more for your efforts there. Okay, so step one, we're talking reducing the liabilities.、Mm -hmm. Two, start working on reproducible, reproducing assets.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, is there are there more pieces? Well, I think there's、thing? more reproducible assets. There's more things to talk about okay, here. Things、great. you can do. Animals, a lot of animals aren't the right thing for everybody. So、True. there's different there's different items to discuss here.、Uh, fruit trees is another one. Oh yeah. You know, fruit trees produce. A yield every year for very little work,、mm -hmm. and so even having more fruit trees than you particularly need becomes you have now have a surplus that has a value to it that either you can eat more fruit in harder times,、mm -hmm. or you have something to sell or make a product out of. So this is very interesting because a lot of these assets are not only financial assets, financial reproducing assets, but they're. Food assets、mm -hmm. too, like they cover a lot of the different bases. Right. I mean, you have fruit trees. You then are increasing your livestock resilience because you have maybe the ability to feed them. Right. You're increasing、dependent. your community resilience because you can invite your neighbors to come pick the excess fruit、mm -hmm. or share it with somebody. 
So it's very interesting to me that as we, like so many things that we see, you know, as we bring things a little bit more home-centered, even financial things, all of a sudden there's all these different benefits that happen um, that we've kind of, we've kind of lost as we um, segment these things off so hard in our mm -hmm. life. You know, if we're just, uh, the financial stuff happens over at the bank, you know, instead of in our backyard. Right, we've segregated it off. And, yeah. and that's the point of this discussion, right? right? That financial assets are a lot more than stocks and bonds and mm -hmm. a savings account. Right. These are all financial assets that are creating resiliency. And not just because you're saving money, but you no longer, you don't have to worry about the same exchange of that money flow. Right. I mean, we can get into talking about what happens if there's bank runs eventually, mm -hmm. what's going on with inflation. You know, oil's probably going to go up again here soon. And that means everything goes right. up. And yeah. so these things all build resilience and give you an alternative out of that system. And yet, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an apple or a pound of meat is going to hold its value no matter what. Right. Because we all need to eat. Yeah. Right. For so, yeah. yeah. I mean, Apple, depending on how long, there's there's different right. constraints, but that's you can think about these different things or which ones are right for you and your system. Um, you know, growing vegetables and saving seeds mm -hmm. is a whole nother one. Yeah. A vegetable, or, well, anything that grows from a seed is just an amazing thing. One little tiny seed, and it can not only provide food for you when it matures, it can then throw off a whole lot of other seeds mm -hmm. to provide future food. And, you know, we also experienced what the, the seed market looked like a few years ago in, in some tough times. Right. That's going to come again at some point in time. And so learning to save seeds and store seeds is another whole deal of saving some assets. It's like a savings account that not only saves you money, you don't have to buy those seeds, but those seeds aren't going to devalue, mm. mm -hmm. assuming you're storing them well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have something for somebody else. Definitely. Yeah. That that's pretty neat. Are there other? Yeah, um, I mean there there are. Good? Those are those are some of the key ones. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I, another thing I would talk about is, and let, let's talk about your cash a little bit. Cash is deteriorating. It is always losing its value, and we've been in a season of accelerated inflation, which means your dollar is losing its value. So, you know, a lot of us were taught to save money mm -hmm. to save cash. There was a time in this country and economy when that worked well. And and the interest rates worked so that you actually that was worthwhile. It's not anymore. You need to have your money somewhere where it's earning interest or it's not devaluing. Okay. In the bank account, in my my perspective, yes, we always want some cash sure. in the bank account. And we want some cash, hopefully, in-house somewhere as well. Mm -hmm. But things like bulk storage, this is something you deal with a lot. Yeah. The grain that you buy today, a bulk good, I'll just say grain, or multiple of them, you can rattle some off in a minute. It is going to cost you more tomorrow in the day after. You know, some market fluctuations, you know, aside, there's always that. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's better right here in the basement in your pantry stored well. You've got a good store of your value instead of having that money in the bank and waiting to go get that grain when you're almost getting low. I think this is something that nobody talks about. I almost think this is a little bit of a like sleight of hand on the media's part is this idea that inflation is slowing, right? Hmm. This, If you think about that, that sounds like, oh good, things are getting cheaper. Right. They're not. The rate of the rate at which they're getting more expensive is slowing it's fluctuating down, right? Or, sometimes, yeah. yeah. And so it's like things, we still, my understanding right now, inflation is still incredibly high. It's just 
slowed down from some of those like milestone highs right. that it was hitting. So it's not that high, but it's still getting more and more expensive month over month. And when you go to the grocery store right now, you're seeing that. Yeah. I'm so thankful that we stocked up last fall and really, you know, did a good stock because now everything, I mean, that got us through a year mm-hmm. on a lot of items like we normally do uh, without paying all those prices. Well, now we're going to have to restock again, but if I buy it right now, it's going to be cheaper than what it'll be probably in the spring because of inflationary rates. Indefinitely in the next year and and over time. So it's a mindset to have. And inflation is just real, whether we're in a accelerated inflationary period, that's the nature of the economic system that we live in. And that's why you can look back a hundred years and see what's happening. And the reality is, is wage growth does not generally keep up with, with inflation. With inflation. Yeah. And so anywhere we can take our money instead of having it in a savings account. And this isn't this isn't to ignore stocks and bonds and proper investments. Those, mm-hmm. those all have their place. So don't think that we're saying don't do that. We have that. But um, where you have cash and where you want to build resiliency to step out of the system, having these stores of things, the things that you use, mm-hmm. what are the things that you use regularly that you can buy in bulk or, or slowly stock up on? Or what are the things that you could barter and trade that will value? Yeah. You know, and, and that, that list is long. It, I mean, I think of salt. I think of all kinds of bulk goods. I think of coffee. I think of bullets. I think of toilet paper, oddly enough. I mean, where does that come from? <laughs> but, you know, these these things are a reality. Right? And, and you're, those things, at least they don't devalue if they're stored properly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the right perspective for your situation, that builds resiliency instead of just you know, sitting in the bank and getting devalued and waiting to pull it out until you need something right now. The interesting thing about buying bulk like that too is that you're often also reducing that liability because you're you're getting a better deal by buying bulk. Right. Most of the times you can get that cheaper deal by buying bulk. So not only are you saving money now, for right now, but you're saving it long-term. You're saving substantial amounts right. of money. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and another one, um, as as we start to wrap this up, I do think it is wise to have gold and silver as assets, not as investment tools so much, but as a hedge against the dollar and against inflation. There's probably some good disclaimer we're supposed to say here. Maybe you said well, at the beginning, we're not we're not financial invested. advisors. We're not, we're not advisors. investment we're advisors. We're not giving you investment uh, advice at all right mm-hmm. here. But <laughs> well, there's just there's just historical wisdom mm-hmm. in how to manage what we have. And, and that's been that's another thing we've lost. We think, well, we've lost the knowledge of canning. We've not lost the knowledge of preserving animals and preserving food and, and how to work on the farm or the homestead. And so certainly we're reclaiming all those. But with that, we've lost mindsets about financial value mm-hmm. and and have just grown up in this very fiat currency, you know, which is now moving digital world that that is total counter to all these other things we're trying to do. Yeah. And so there's a mindset here to develop that that bridges that gap of finances in this home setting world. Right. And, you know, uh, so gold is a a very, very good one. It's a very, very good hedge. It doesn't change. It's not hard to store. You're not going to worry about the freezer turning off or your seeds getting too damp or, you know, something getting into the bulk dried goods, you know, and that doesn't, not to disparage those things, they do have their risks. They all do. Mm -hmm. Precious metals, gold and silver are going to hold their value over time. So that being a part of your financial strategy 
uh, is very, very valuable. Mm, good. And we're going to talk more about that in an upcoming we are. pantry chat, yep, Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, soon. And, you know, lastly, and this, well, we're not financial advisors. Any financial mm -hmm. advisor would tell you to diversify. And homesteaders, farmers of old have always known that. Older homesteaders had a diverse farm. They had actually, yeah. you, you hear terms in permaculture and regenerative agriculture about a diverse ecology and, mm -hmm. you know, different species. That was known. That, that was basic to people to have a diverse ecology on their homestead, to have a diversity of things we're talking about here of storage mm -hmm. and supplies, and to have a diversity of income streams and assets. Mm -hmm. And so I think I want to close with that resilience means having a diversity of different things. It has a diversity of financial assets, having a diversity of stored goods. And even when you have animals, fruit trees, having a diversity of those different things, right? Yeah. Some fruit does better one year than another. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your, something might come through and you might have a problem with your sheep, but your cows do get better mm. this year. Yeah. And so diversity is a, is a very key concept in financial resilience. Probably in any resilience. Well, in any. What you're saying, just yes. in resilience. Homestead period. resilience as well. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a different topic for us, but... Good to talk oh, about good something it's, everybody it's, needs to be thinking. It about. is. It's one I love and, and happy to share. And so hopefully that's got you thinking. This is not an end all. Yeah. But hopefully it's got you thinking and getting creative with how you manage your financial resilience on the homestead. All right. It's been great hanging out with you guys. And we will see you real soon. See you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.